Okay, here we are. Welcome to Zeitheist on Shady Pines Radio. I'm Josh Gaines, and I'm sitting here with Igor Brezhnev. Bjorn Brezhnev. Bjorn Brezhnev. Okay. Yes, that's right. You you recently changed it, or that is up and coming. It is a or pending. It's a pending process. I am uh, kind of uh, shedding the old skin and growing a new one. Yes. I don't know how long it's going to take. <laughs> yes, right. Ah, those legal processes are silly. It seems like it should be so simple and just like quick done. But anyhow, one one day it will be final, and and you will be the new version. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I grow two point oh. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, well, let's touch on what is happening. So as we're recording this, it's Thursday, January nineteenth, and on the twenty fourth, you have an event happening. And what is that? Ah, well, so uh, on January twenty fourth, uh, seven to nine, doors at six thirty. We are hosting the first quarterly poetry showcase at Coho Theater, uh, Word Lights Poetry Showcase, and we are featuring uh, uh, three Lightship Press poets, um, Red O'Hare. Uh, Sam Rose Preminger and Christopher Luna. So these poets, we just recently published their books, and so we're celebrating the release of those books. That was the, our efforts last year to get those books funded and uh, published. And uh, so we're celebrating that with our feature poets, and we we're evolving. Uh, the format that we used to have before with Word Lights, because Word Lights has been around for a few years. Okay. Um, we have we have started it at the Rocking Frog Cafe um, in 2019, and um, hosted I think over 50 shows every week, um, providing a stage for both local and traveling talent we've had folks we've had a poet as far uh, from as far as singapore goodness uh come come and grace our stage at the rocking frog um we've had quite a number of really amazing local poets one of them anis majgani uh, our oregon poet laureate uh mighty mike mcgee so many so many amazing names so much amazing poetry went on at rocking frog and so when the pandemic started we actually uh had a radio show on shady pines radio uh for at the very beginning of shady pines radio yes and i think uh we've recorded maybe two months worth of shows and then it was just too much work so sure. i applaud you for <laughs> doing what you do it is a lot how much work, work yes how much work that is yes to keep up a weekly rhythm is yeah is, uh it comes fast friday yeah. comes fast every week yes um so uh yeah, and then we, you know, pandemic, obviously pandemic happened, so that was, uh, that was pretty, pretty rough on everyone. Yes. And um, we couldn't have shows for a long time, and um, when th- last year started, 2022, I started to bring back the show little by little, and so we've had maybe uh, 10, 12 shows total at different venues around Portland, mm-hmm. uh, Belmont Books. Uh, Wallflower Coffee, Honey Latte Cafe, and we've had a couple of shows at the Coho Theater, where this uh, next showcase is going to be. Um, and our format usually has been a feature poet and an open mic. Yeah. 
Uh, but one thing that I've noticed after hosting an open mic for uh, many, you know, a few years um, is that it's very ephemeral. You know, we mm-hmm. show up, we put a lot of energy into creating a show, and then it dissipates like it's, it's never happened. I mean, mm-hmm. we have our memories. Um, there's a little bit of impact for the feature poets. Maybe they've sold some books, met some people. Uh, but for the open mic readers, it is very ephemeral. You know, they, they just get up there, they read their poem, and they're celebrated in the moment, but then they go home like sure. it's never happened. Yes. Um, and in the world of poetry, uh, shows are not necessarily an item that you could put on your uh, resume. Uh, right. If you are doing that as a craft, as a profession. Um, so this year, I thought what we would do is uh, put on a big show, uh, put on a theater show, create a theater stage for poetry. And uh, we've partnered up with Goho Productions and their amazing people there, um, a local nonprofit, and they're supporting a lot of interesting theater and clown projects and. Uh, uh, musicians, all sorts of variety of art, and it's uh, the theater is in Northwest. It was established by uh, uh, a wonderful artist. Um, why am I blanking on the name? I think Paolo mm. uh, Cuomo. Okay. Um, but uh, Phil Johnson is a theater director there now, and they have a wonderful team of people that are very supportive. Yeah, excellent. Uh, yeah. What do you what do you hope for this event, both for people coming to experience and see it, and what do you hope for the poets performing? Well, so one thing about poetry, and it's it's really interesting because unless you're living in the world of poetry, you don't. A lot of people, a lot of general public, has this idea that poetry is that you know, 18th century textbook stuff that they read in school. Yeah. Walt Whitman, Robert Frost. Yeah, and uh, you know Whitman is probably slightly better than you know uh, some of like some of the things, but it's it's somewhat dated. Current poetry is an amalgamation. There are so many different shapes and forms to it. Mm. Um, There is, you know, it exists somewhere. It's spoken word. It's storytelling, Um, and so it is much more interesting and and evoking. Uh, and especially hearing it live because the emotion is put back into the page. Yes. Um, so the feature poets that we present, a lot of them are very experienced uh, performers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a very different experience to experience poetry performed. You know, you get to feel, you get to share this emotion with multiple people. Yes, powerful. Um, so it's it's a very powerful experience. So f- I'm hoping that people will come out and experience poetry, hear the poetry come alive, and rediscover poetry for themselves. Yes. Um, and so the show has two segments. We present the features in the first segment, and then we've evolved our open mic into a curated mic. So these are members of the community of poetry community that uh, submit their poems ahead of time. And uh, we curate the, the selection and then have the, our features rate the poems. Mm-hmm. And so the top, uh, the top poem gets a broadside prize. And then during the performance, the other seven performers will be rated by the features and 
the audience for their performance and we'll have another broadside prize as a uh, the best performed poem yeah would you describe what a broadside is to people who might not know so broadside is uh it is isn't it it's it's it it's publishing of poetry that has deep roots uh you know i i think some of the first poetry didn't come out in books but it just came out as leaves ah yes it's basically an illuminated illustrated poem or a part of the poem and uh you know it serves as kind of a combination of visual and uh written art uh so people put it on their table people put it on their wall and it's a way to connect with a poem visually um and so there's a there's an old deep deep tradition of producing broadsides it's the first you may not have a book but you have a broadside you sure. have a broadside of your poem you may have written one poem in your life and it's a really good poem it's like a single yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes that makes sense that's a good way to put it yeah mm. how does how does a poet ever ho- what i should ask it this way what is the best way for lovers of art lovers of poetry lovers of literature and writing the people who are consuming and enjoying this material what is the best way for them to support local poets that they love I, you know i have said this on the mic for god years now mm. every time that i'm hosting a show i come out and i tell people that you need to support living artists because mm-hmm. the dead ones don't need it they're dead they can't eat uh, the the one of the best ways to support living poets just hand them money mm-hmm. find your poet hand them money uh, if you would like an exchange you know buy their book uh, share their work um, I mean we share music often enough mm-hmm. a lot of these poets also have spoken word albums you know play play it on your playlist play it for your friends um, share both the art and don't forget that an artist is a living creature that needs to eat needs to have a place to stay yes. and uh you know much like any artist really um it takes a lot of energy to to create things and be in that frame of work to create something on that in in the limit exist in the liminal spaces so if you've got the means you know just throw some money at poets find out if they have a patreon find out if they have a Venmo and just send them money. Uh, be patrons of the arts. Sure. Yes. I mean, it's funny because most of my patrons are artists themselves. Yeah. They're musicians. They're visual artists. Uh, they're people that know how it feels to create art, and so they're they're they have been my supporters for years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a Patreon myself, and so it's um, it it is one of my primary means of income. Yes. And uh, it makes a difference. You know, there is this whole maxim of the starving artist. And I've spent most of my life trying to say that is unnecessary. You can create art from internal conflict, not external conflict. Mm. You can create art f- from curiosity yes. and a place of um, comfort that this idea that somehow we need to be traumatized starving in order to create art that is false and that is an idea that's been pressed upon us by the capitalist system that we live in that really art is an exploration we are reaching for a boundary and seeing what that boundary is like 
um, and sometimes crossing it and it takes mm, unhinging your brain a little bit yes so you're you got to be a little mad a little insane and that does not allow you to exist within the capitalist system as easily so if people enjoy great lyrics uh, good poetry amazing visual art my suggestion has always been find out if this, these folks need need food yes. find out if they 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 have a space to live in um give them some money you know uh, ask them what's the best way to support you right now you know right goodness yes that's a beautiful way to put it uh unhinging one's brain and the way that uh, artists typically don't fit into the a uh, common way of doing things very well and and that even the system as it is set up is is not all that great for anyone really um what uh have you loved poetry all your life or did it come later at, at some different point where you grew to appreciate it and notice it and consume it yourself i think for me it was um so i've met literature at a very early age my mother was a um uh, a school teacher and uh um, a very, uh, very interesting woman. Um, and so she had it in her mind that I have to learn how to read. And I've learned to read very early uh, because there would be things like, you can't go to the river unless you read this book. And so initially for me, it was a way to just like, all right, let me get this done and then I'll go enjoy mm. running around as a kid. But then I found out that in our household, um, it was not a great household. Let's put it this way. Okay. Um, fairly, you know, weirdly emotionally and psychologically abusive. Mm. Uh, but one thing that both of my parents shared, even though they were not, you know, all that amazing, um, if you were reading a book that was in our household, it was considered doing something, so you were left alone. Yes. And so at an early age, I discovered that you can go to a library and be left alone hmm. and not experience the trauma that the world pushes on you. Um, and two, you could be, you know, in my case, at home and read a book and no one will bother you. Yes. And so I have read a lot. And then as I was coming into, um, you know, early preteen, teenage years, um, I've discovered theater and I've discovered also the, tr the Russian tradition of poetry. Hmm. So I grew up in Soviet Union in uh, between Moscow and a small town in Ukraine. And uh, I found the poetry by the Russian Silver Age uh, poets, which is early 1900s, 1920s, probably I would say into 1930s. And there's an incredible, th these are incredible people. They've, they, they were part of the revolution they um, they were people that were examining the world from all points of view. Uh, some of them got killed for their poetry, like uh, Osip Melderstam wrote, wrote a poem about Stalin and got executed, <sighs> got sent into the labor camps and never came out. Oh, my God. Um, uh, Anna Akhmatova, Marina Tsvitaeva, all of these amazing people, and they were young. Mayakovsky, when he was participating in the revolution and writing poetry and ex exploring a completely new style of poetry, um, he was 
16, th- you know, oh. 13, something like that. He, I think my he was, God. he got into prison when he was like uh, 16. Oh my God. So when you put that in context that these great, amazing people were that young and, and, and they were sharing their art with the world and they were active and they were, Mayakovsky would wear a yellow shirt and jump on a table at some restaurant you know in the russian like the picture it's russian empire traditionalist you know church going folks very uptight very conservative yes and there's this guy in a yellow shirt (laughs) that jumps on a table at a restaurant and starts yelling out poetry that's surreal in nature um and accusative of the ruling class um and so you will have you know and this is a kid you know this, like the this is this is this is this is what punks are yeah yes yes <laughs> you know? i love that wherewithal to yeah do that. my god so that's how i got i got into poetry um mm. i started reading it and i've enjoyed so much the fact that um it is it is condensed emotion mm. not only as a reader you get this condensed emotion that you could you could process emotions that you have but may not have the words for yes in such a short amount of time and prose is protracted you have to spend time with it you have to sit there whereas poetry can be short to the point with an emotional charge and allow you to relate your own emotional state um and it's it's a form of art that allows you to tell maybe your untold story through someone else's story so you know, just just reading and reciting poetry to other people is a therapeutic thing. Yes. Um, and uh, s- storytelling is always important. Um, that's that's how we get. That's how we get heard. That's how we share what we see, and through that we instigate change. Mm-hmm. Because an examination of whether it's our internal world or external world, we can go and say, "Ah, I want to change that." Yes. Um, and then find out how. Right. I was curious back to when your mother would have you read books. Was it was it particular literature that she was trying to instill you with, like books that she felt were important for a person to know? Oh, I think when 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 I started out, it was basically learn to read. So okay. whatever was available, <clears throat> gotcha. um, you know, age appropriate, which which changed because my mother worked two shifts as a school teacher. Uh, so that changed very quickly. My, you know, I would, I would like raid our library, go to the top shelf where forbidden books are, <laughs> yes. and uh, you know, reach out for One Thousand and One Nights, which yes. had some uh, spicy some content, steamy yeah. passages. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, excellent. Yes. Uh, I think we've had on our shelves Russian translations of uh, Georges de Sand and uh, Guillaume Passan. You know, some of the French authors. I don't know how they made it past the, the Soviet censorship, but they did. Mm. And some of it was uh, for, for like a kid, pretty, uh, pretty whoa. Yes. That's interesting. What That's a whole other aspect yeah. of these, these artists and writers being published in that country at that time. It goes through censors, and so they don't even have control over the final, their final work in some cases. I mean that's true that's true pretty much anywhere you will have gatekeepers and censors mm-hmm. under any system okay sure so in Soviet Union it was a very ineffective 
censorship system okay because the people that were censors were not that educated were not that great and smart people could sneak things by them gotcha really easily well let's say for example the kind of censorship that exists in the united states um if you want your message heard by many people well you have folks that approve it mm-hmm. you have gatekeepers and it's more to protect the the capitalist system so if your work is directly challenging the livelihoods of the powers that be you're not going to be you know published by the top five sure or now yes. top four uh you're not going to be put on major television networks and so forth you know so there's right. another another type of censorship sure certainly yes that makes sense um when did you start emerging as a writer I think that was a really long road for me. I think I tried writing something when I was a kid. I remember I uh, rewrote The Deeds of Hercules hmm. as my own character. Wow. And it was like a little notebook that, you know, that I was very proud of as a kid. What an interesting choice. I wonder, did, were you drawn to Hercules as a figure in particular? Like I was drawn to myths and legends because that was as close... I mean, so growing up in Soviet Union, um, it was an atheist country. Mm. So a lot of the the mystery and religion were pushed away. Uh, so folk tales were, you know, this is the old superstitions, sure. right? And yes. so, but where you could find a lot of these interesting uh, things and kind of fantasy setting was in myths and legends. Yes, and uh, Soviet Union had translated and published all it, in the country. They translated and published a lot of. Uh, uh, I remember having books of um, myths and legends of uh, Mexico, hmm. uh, you know, um, Irish. Um, I remember folk tales of United States, you know. Hmm. So there's a lot of interesting things that were kind of like, well, we celebrate folk tales. And, and 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 fantasy in that way but we're not going to publish somebody like Tolkien <laughs> yes okay sure sure uh, so that was uh, that was as a kid that's what I had available mm-hmm. and I think I, I just enjoyed the, the the kind of wide incredible um, field of fantasy of like trying to figure out oh this person traveled from here to here and did this and how would that look like on the map i remember looking at the map of greece trying to figure out where hercules was doing the things um but yeah and i think you know i i think as most teenagers i wrote some poetry and you know uh tried to emulate people i liked of course yes uh things like that and then i i performed in theater for a little while um, we had a theater troupe that was organized around our school. Um, and so I got to perform some poetry that I really loved, like Mayakovsky's poetry mm. on stage. Wow. Yes. Um, so, and then I've had a long dip of not having art in my life hmm. or somewhat, you know, I was an immigrant. I had to survive. And so my life was filled with, you know, shit jobs and uh you know learning a new language yes um all of those things and i think i came back to it after i stopped drinking Hmm. i think my primary primary uh art that emerged from when i was back when i was uh drinking it was uh visual art so i did a lot of that 
and then after um, after I quit drinking I started writing a little bit more and collecting the things that I've written before and editing them and um, yeah I think and what helped also poetry is a poor person's art mm, sure poetry does not require supplies and resources yes as an art form all you have to do is get a pencil and a piece of paper and and write write whatever it is I mean and now we all have phones so you know sure even, even the poorest of us will have some sort of device on which we could type things yes um, so it is it is very accessible art form whereas like visual mm. art you'll need to find a studio some sort of space you'll need um, you know supplies even if you're doing graffiti art you still sure. need spray paint yes yes <laughs> you're right I'm curious if the if immigrating here and drinking and the the struggle of of coming to a new country shit jobs learning the language did that coincide i mean you know using alcohol to cope or to uh i don't know it's it's just interesting both of those components i mean we were all just trying to survive mm. i mean no matter where you go whatever weird mechanisms that people exhibit they're trying to survive sometimes in very unsustainable ways hmm. um, I think for me the things that I have seen in post-soviet Union and watching a country collapse essentially um, and dealing with great social change and influenced by sometimes not very good things like the greed you know the the anarcho-capitalism that existed in the early 90s and in, in post-soviet Union was horrible I mean, this capitalism that we exist in is pretty horrible, mm -hmm. but that was, you know, people torturing people. Yes. You know, out in the open. So that's not, that's not, that's not something when you're growing up, like we, I think when you're growing up with these things, you discount them as just, this is just the reality. Mm -hmm. But as I move further and further away in years, I look at it and I say, well, that's trauma. Yes. That is that 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 experience right there was traumatic, and it's no wonder that I started drinking when I did. Hmm. You know, at a young age, I think I started drinking to cope with things by age twelve. Wow. Yes. Um, and it took me, you know, a decade or more to kind of go, oh, that wait, that's not that's not good. Mm. That's not doing me doing me any favors. Yes. What uh, age were you when you when you quit? Oh, I would say somewhere late twenties. Okay. I mean, it was a process. Sure. You know, any any sort of addiction that you develop, mm -hmm. getting out of that addiction is is a process, and sometimes it's replacing the negative addictions with positive addictions. Sure. And it's on a, it's forevermore. You're you know that you are an addict. Mm. You know, an alcoholic, and you're just not engaging in that behavior. Sure. You yes. know, you're making a daily choice of not doing that yes and you feel that that was suppressing in some way your ability to to bring forth your art and your writing or at least it emerged more once you had stopped drinking i think so yeah. uh, to me to me i think that um you know drinking dulls you mm -hmm. um and i've met i've met a few people that are drunkards and great poets sure. uh, but sometimes I wonder how much better would they have been mm -hmm. had they not had the thing that drains life out of them the poison yes so 
um, I make my choice for me, right? Yes, sure. Um, other people's choices are their own. Yeah, yeah. I've, I'm, it's such a common uh, story to idolize. I mean, I'll just speak for myself. There's a period of time in my mid-20s when I uh, idolized people like uh, Ernest Hemingway, and I, I would write on a typewriter, and I literally kept a bottle of whiskey in my desk and, like, thought that I was this, you know, genius when I was really just kind of a drunk idiot writing trash um, at that period of time. And so... Anyhow, it's I don't know what it is that seems so romantic about that, or maybe just the fact that like inebriated writers think that their work is excellent, and uh, most of the time that ends up not being the case. There are exceptions. I, I think Hunter S. Thompson is pretty incredible, and he he was intoxicated most of his waking hours. But anyhow, um. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's 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 an interesting thing. I think that the 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 your life is affected in many ways by consumption of substances, right? Sure. And I think like any like any poison, it can be a medicine in small amounts. Hmm. But also, you know, once you have your, you know, your liver not functioning, you die early, well, what could have you created? Yes, yes. You know, if you were, if you were lived on. So that's, that's, that's a consideration. And for me, I think, um, for me, art is a byproduct of life. So it is a way to relate the story. It's a, a way to process the story. Hmm. Um, I'm not necessarily creating art for consumption. Hmm. I'm creating, I'm, when I'm creating art, it's its own process and it is for understanding oneself better. Yes. It is to create. So when you're having internal thoughts, emotions, they're inside of you. You know, you, you may yes. have multiple voices within 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 your mind. You may have like examinations and awareness of yourself, this these types of things. But it is not until you put it outside of you that you can create a relationship. By default, relationship is between two distant objects. Yes. You know, they could be very close, they could be very distant, but there is some distance involved. So I think when we create art and object outside of ourselves um, with the things that used to be inside of us, we create a relationship and in relationship. Now you, it's a process so you can understand there's understanding that's coming. There is, um, there's change because by interaction between you and your art, you will instill some change. It will change you in some way. Yes. So that's, this change could be intentional. Um, so I find that when I write, this is the primary objective for me. And then there is, now there is publishing and performing of, of art, sharing it with people. And at that point, you have to question how useful your art is to someone with whom you share. Yes. You know, what are they going to get out of it? Um, how is it going to help them? And that's, that's a hard question. Absolutely. You know, uh, and you won't know until you share. Right. right. You, you won't know what your art does until you put it out there and say, look at it. Yes. Or read it or listen to it. And, um, and it's only, you know, only after you've, you've had a sizable audience that was not shy enough to tell you what they got <laughs> out of it. Yeah. 
um, that you get, oh, that's why I'm making this. That's why I'm putting all the, because writing is not that much work. Hmm. It doesn't feel that way. But presenting, publishing, showcasing your art and in capitalist system, capitalizing on your art so that you could continue living and producing art uh those are those are the time time demons yes yes those are the things that take up the most time absolutely right this is making me think of just it took me so long i mean and i've engaged in a number of different art forms and i i would say i've been curious about a lot of different mediums and kind of have spent maybe two years at a time doing painting or or film or uh writing or music and I think without realizing it through my 20s I was still paying way too much attention to what people thought and paying attention to public trends of what was popular and trying to fit my art into something that would be received well but I've come to realize both for myself and all of the artists that I admire the purest like Josh the, the most me that I can be in what I'm making is what is going to connect with the people who are looking for that because people recognize humanity, they recognize authenticity and that like that it's it's uh, the whole point is to like find the purest version of yourself and present that and like obviously not everyone is going to connect with that but the people who do it will mean that much more because it, they just something rings true about that uh, kind of relationship like it will find the right people if uh, you're being the most unique that you can. Yeah, I mean, and that every story is going to bring something out. Mm. You know, um, so I remember when um, my first book in print came out, Dearest Void, and I remember this was back then. I I also thought that you know what, a book is published, you read it. I don't have anything to. I've, I've done my work. That's it. You, you go read your book. I'm not going to be reading it to you. Um, and uh, it took me actually a while to become a performing poet. Uh, much longer than it was like, here's my book. Yeah. And then years, years, years. And, oh, I guess I could do that. Yeah. Uh, but my initial thing was like, I, I made the work. That's it. You go, you go read it. Yes. Uh, that's your job. Um, I did all the steps up to now. Um, and then I've encountered at one point of my life in Phoenix, Arizona, um, a fellow artist and a coffee shop owner by the, uh, by the name of Jeff Fisher, uh, Lux Coffee Shop in Phoenix, if you're a traveling, cool place. Hmm. And uh, so Jeff uh, told me once when I was ex exhibiting my visual art there, and he says, are you going to be there to stand behind your art? So hmm. I asked him what that means, and he says, well, you know, it's one thing to just put things on the walls, but are you going to be present next to it? to talk to people about it, to defend it, to explain it, to, to be the voice of it. Yes. And it dropped in my mind a, a long time ago that you ha this is one way you do that with poetry. You get up on stage and you give your poetry a voice, legs, body. Mm -hmm. And now you're standing behind your art. Yes. Now you're really like, yeah, I, the, yep, that's, that's the story. Talk to me. Yes. Talk. You know, tell me what you what you felt, what you thought. It doesn't mean that I will change the way I do art, but I will be there to be its voice. Yes. 
Did you feel nervous about performing early on or, or uh, did that feel vulnerable? That was very weird. So um, I've had a stretch of time. So I, as I said, I began in theater, never had oh, stage that's right. fright. Sure. Like went up, just did a thing, you know, a whole bunch of people watching me. Um, at points of my life, I was leading workshops and, you know, teams of people and doing a lot of public speaking. Um, never had it. And so I think it was back in, I mean, relatively not that long ago, 2017, hmm. um, I, uh, I decided to perform poetry and I went on stage to perform it and I noticed that I'm shaking. I'm, you know, I'm, hmm. I'm like, whoa, that's an interesting thing. That never happened to me. Yeah. And, um, and so I thought, well, I don't know why that is, but I do know the recipe of how to fix that. Hmm. You just do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over until one day, after hours of being on stage, you're going to go up and go, huh, I'm cool as a cucumber. Yeah. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still anxieties. There's still judgments. We, we don't sure. go away from that, right? Sure. You know, I think most of the time on stage I'm you know I frankly think I'm bombing right <laughs> like oh, yeah. all right this was not great um, and then what happens is members of the audience will come up to you and say hey this was this was amazing so you do the best you can right yes but that that anxiety and fear goes away if you lean into it so step into the fear go go into it yes um, and then you know just like uh uh, Frank Herbert said, you know, you move through the fear. You're on the other side. Yes. Fear is the mind killer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you, so you've described to me one project um, that is very personal and, and very lengthy. Is that typically what you draw from and what you write about is your own experience? Or do you ever write things that are more abstract or about uh, other subjects or even some of these, you know, myth stories you grew up on? Yeah, what what do you draw from? Well, you know, I have written hundreds of poems by now, mm. probably probably close to a thousand, if not more. I've got some novels that are sitting in a back burner, waiting until I have, you know, uh, the settled life sure. where I have my own space and able to wake up and dedicate time to mm -hmm. to writing. Um, I'm very interested in uh, magical realism as a f art form. Yes. Uh, that allows you to explore a lot of interesting things. Um, but that, the subject matter, I guess, is life. Mm -hmm. It's existing, you know. So, you know, I will have some of my poetry is commentary of what I see, feel around me. Some of it is commentary on social and political structures. Um, I would say that because of where, what my life was, a lot of my poetry is describing to people what what it feels like to be an immigrant describing what like what it feels like to be poor um you know i would say some of the poetry that you know that's an examination it's examination of what systems we have created and here's what they feel like because poetry is about feeling um and now is there a solution if there is a problem, is there a solution? Can we find one? Mm -hmm. 
So that's kind of that that has been my subject matter for last few years definitely it's a lot of social commentary a lot of um personal life experience transposed to a greater theme yes yes like the you know that big project that uh, you were talking about the night since um 363 poems written uh between uh january 17th of 2019 and january thereabouts 15th 17th i don't remember anymore uh, of um, 2020 and that was a project describing emotional landscape of being without a home now as an artist as an immigrant i'm used to being without a mm. permanent settled sc- scenario yes you know i don't have a country i don't have a people uh, hell i didn't have it back where i come from because i'm quarter ukrainian quarter russian quarter jew and quarter roma wow so in russia I would be ukrainian ukraine i would be russian oh. gods forbid anybody finds out you're jew or roma yes right god um uh, so you know it's 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 an interesting thing it took me 44 years to be much more open about where my roots are you know um, and talk about these complex ideas of nationality and you know how made up some of these things are but how not made up the consequences are yes right yes you know i often joke that if nazis come around again they wouldn't know what to do with me because <laughs> they got they would have to assign me like all the little symbols they had oh right you know it's yes. like here you're getting every little symbol and we were going to have to separate you in parts and put you in different cars oh my god um yes but that's you know and that's in itself knowing that that has been a thing in the past and it might be a thing in the future Mm. um propels me to write yes because if i can describe my internal experience if i can if i can question the political systems the social systems and there might be a person one person reading it for whom it makes a difference who either sees themselves in 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 that story um so they feel like their voice is amplified um or they just see something they've never thought about before absolutely uh, you know countless americans don't understand what it's like to be an immigrant even though they are just dis- all descendants of immigrants sure there's you know there are native americans who are not descendants of immigrants and then there's the you know this vast mass of folks that came here from somewhere else in generations uh, but I think they all forget what it's like not to have a home, yeah. not to have a belonging. Yeah. And when they treat people that come here, and usually you don't come to another country because you were comfortable in yeah. your own place. Right. And usually if you end up in an empire like United States, uh, you came here because the empire went and messed about where, where, where you, co- you come from. Yes. You know the reason the reason I'm here is because the United States actively messed with Soviet Union, mm. right? They actively contributed to the downfall of a system that was for us was working. You know, it was being reformed. It was you know it was a process, right? Yes. But the 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 rich and powerful were deciding that that's not good enough for them. They want to exploit resources in other parts of the world, and so people that come from elsewhere. Whether they realize it or not, they come to other places to move 
not because they were comfortable where they were, yes. but they were uncomfortable and most likely uncomfortable because of outside influences. Yes. Mm. I. It's so interesting that I, this might be hard to answer. I experience you as such a warm and kind and gentle, humble, like open-hearted person. And given your experience, it would be so easy for you to be angry and embittered. And um, I, I'm just curious what you attribute that to your your character and your your peaceableness. And and have there been versions of you in the past that were angry and bitter and different? I'm still bitter and angry. Okay. Yes. I just it just doesn't serve any purpose. Mm. You know, I you know I can express some of my anger and bitterness in in my art. Uh, but I also know that just being angry and, and embittered does not solve the problem. Mm. You know, if so, to me, to me, that there is a maxim: um, if you're walking around and you see something going on, and you say that someone ought to do something about that, if you're the one saying it, that someone is you. Yeah. Now you may have not have the resources. You may not have. You know, most of my artistic life has been shaped by that. Oh, you know, there's there's not an an open mic where a poet can share ten minutes of their poetry. We'll make one. Yeah. Uh, there is not a a show that will enable poets to have a byline publication. There isn't. You don't know about one. That means it's not you know right there in front of you. Make one. Yeah. You know, you I feel like you feel like they're un underrepresented voices in the readings that you go to. Like say for example, in United States, a lot of the stages are controlled by academia. Mm. Right? And so they shut off the the voices of people from the street, people that don't have the money to receive the education. Yes. That doesn't mean that those people are less smart or less their voices are less valuable. Right. Um, so if you see that there is not a stage for that, make that stage. Mm. So to me, that's, that's the way to, to, to transform your anger, your bitterness. I will still go up on stage and I have no problem pointing a finger and placing the blame. Sure. But I also, that's emotional release. Feels great. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, you walk off the stage and go, ah, okay, great, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I got my feelings out. Uh, but also, how? what are you going to do to change it? You know, I could be walking around, you know, the United States and say, y'all should be speaking Russian. What's wrong with you? Hmm. Right? Like most Americans walking around and thinking that English is the only language in the world. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> So the, the, to me, these are the things that you figure out how to do. If you can't do them, if you can't figure out how you could, maybe do that. I mean, like the problems that we run into with um, like the Word Light Show, um, it would take to put on a good show and publish an anthology of work, it would take about five to six thousand dollars, right? Mm. Where you know, we also want to keep the show accessible. Sure. So we the tickets at the theater are pay what you can, so you can get in. If you have zero dollars, you can still go to the theater and participate in poetry uh, event. Um, so how do you, what do you do? Yeah. So yeah, you figure out ways. You say, hey, you know, we'll sell the, the season tickets to folks that that have disposable income and support arts. 
uh, we'll, you know, ask local businesses, small businesses, you know, people that we know in the community that, you know, that have been lucky enough to have an opportunity to have a business and have a little bit more than we do. And we would love to share their message, right? So we'll do sponsorships. Yes. We'll raise money other ways. You know, when we have the ability, we'll apply for grants, things like that. But you always look for a solution. Mm-hmm. You know, I could be mad that we don't get money for, you know, for tickets or we don't get money to support um, support the art um, and produce the best show possible. But that doesn't serve a whole lot of purpose. Right. You know, get through your anger, like with fear, get through it. Use it to motivate you and then do something. Yes. Do, you know, figure out a solution. Right. Try it out. If it doesn't work, move on next solution yes but keep going forward Mm -hmm. i'm curious about i I love that attitude and that and that uh wherewithal and just like noticing a problem and taking care of it and taking that initiative which i i do think is relatively rare among humans um but i was curious growing up in an atheist country and then having a fairly transient life of immigrating here and sometimes literally not having a home, uh, sometimes literally being homeless, have you, is your sort of belief about what's going on in this universe and, and your worldview, is it, is it like self-reliance? Is there any sort of spiritual or mystical component? Or um, uh, yeah, what, what do you feel about that? Well, so to me, the, the, the two things are there is a private metaphysical search, hmm. right? That is a thing that's unique to every individual. Yeah. Um, and then there is the physicality of life. And physicality is interdependence. It's not independence. It's always interdependence. Because hmm. no matter how individualistic and, you know, rugged individual you are, uh, thing is you're always going to be using somebody else's knowledge those that came before you doesn't Mm -hmm. you you didn't learn language you you didn't create it you didn't make it up so you're already relying on on countless generations of humans um you're relying on every little bit of nature around you if the trees stopped producing oxygen for you, you would die yes so there is there is a myth of independence Hmm. To me, to me, it is if any part of the world surrounding you stops functioning, leaves you alone, you spit. You know, it, there's a there's a, a very interesting uh, proverb. If uh, if I spit at the world, it'll wipe it off and keep going. If the world spits at me, I'll drown. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So. To me, to me, there is a very, very much a, you know, a physical world in which you exist, uh, which maybe because of scarcity of resources and the capitalist system that we live in, um, that it's very much separate for me from the metaphysical searches. Wow. Yes. Because to me, you know, first take care of the physical things, put the food in your mouth and other people's mouths you know, have a shelter, um, do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then most of the spirituality in the world has transformed into organized religion, mm-hmm. which is frankly is a sham. 
Yes. You know, and I've seen that, you know, I grew up in atheist country, so maybe I'm biased. But, you know, I remember the stories that my grandparents were telling me or great grandparents and older folks of the priests wearing gold paraphernalia while their congregation has children dying of hunger. Yes. To me, that is, and I see still, you know, I, a friend of mine in Phoenix invited me to go to a uh, mega church. So I walked in there. And I'm watching this very well-off pastor collecting donations and speaking things like army of God, da-da-da-da-da. I'm going, oh, my God, you are a horrible human being. (laughs) You you literally, you, you have people in your congregations that are poor, that are on food stamps, that eat really low quality food, don't have a place to live. And you're taking money from them? Yeah. That's wrong. Yes. You know, I, I don't care what kind of God you created. And to me, gods are created. Yes. To yes. me, the, we made them up. Yes. You know, whatever our, you know, the, the, the argument that I have for people is like, if there is an infinite type of consciousness, there is no way you can connect to it because you're finite. Hmm. No matter what you're going to do, you're always going to fall short of understanding it. Mm-hmm. Because you are finite you have a finite amount of years you're going to be existing you may have a portion of that consciousness out you know bracket you know and maybe you could have a sense that you might kind of feel what it's like if you do certain kinds of drugs mm-hmm. but i don't think you could fathom what that is and you can't fathom fathom the reason right why things would exist that way if that indeed was the case there's no proof, right? Right. right. Uh, so for me, I guess I chose my way. I don't really care if gods exist. Because to me, the much more important thing is, is are people around me okay? Am I okay? Am I showing up in the world in the best way possible? And sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're, sure. you know, seven, seven traumas in a trench coat. That's all you are. Yes. And you got to be working on them traumas to not be, right? To show up as an actual human being. Um, and that's your job. That's not the job of your community. Right. Right? To alleviate you from trauma and, uh, you know, help you. They can help you. They can show you what it looks like. Yes. But that's your job. That's, you, know, you show up, you, you deconstruct it, you go, well, you know, ah, let, me, let me do better. Yes. Well said. If uh, <clears throat> if you were to have your future and, and all of your desires and dreams uh, as an artist, as a writer, as a human come true, what would that look like? Or is it already happening in a certain sense? Uh, some of it is happening. I think the most... I think having resources to produce art, um, yeah. other people's art, I, I, you know, I've already had my feeling of the first book, of the first thing, of the first performance. You know, I still have some ahead of me, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, bigger stage, bigger name, whatever these things are. But they're not quite as important. Mm-hmm. I get my kicks out of seeing a poet hold their first book in their hands. Yes. I get my kicks out of a poet coming off stage and going, that was, an, I didn't know a show could be like that. Mm. 
and helping produce that and make that because a lot of it is just simple tricks to put it together you know to create an experience to me that's much more important uh and i mean personally i would love to be comfortable yeah personally i would love to live in a little you know bit of land on the oregon coast looking at the ocean every day that's that's where i recharge yes i don't get energy from performances i don't get energy from communication with people i can do it Uh i am okay at it but i rest with specifically ocean Mm. and silence and contemplation those are those are the things that you know being with my loved ones being with my partner um cats love cats (laughs) um i love some dogs too (laughs) yeah yeah uh that that made me think contemplation uh what 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 is your writing process look like do you do you write when inspiration strikes or have you been more regimented like write every day at a certain time even if it's crap sometimes would or has it looked different ways okay yeah so you know um i've i've hosted writing workshops with people there's no such thing as writing block Hmm. um to me it's basically this there are things you want to write and there are things that you have to write. If you're not writing what you have to write, you will never write what you want to write. Whoa. That is the thing that stands in between you and what you want to write. So if, say, for example, um, you're sitting there and you're going, like, I want to write a good poem and it's not coming. Well, maybe what you need to do is listen to yourself. What is it that you have to write? Maybe you're angry at something. Maybe you're, what's standing in a way? Hmm. write that first um and so when i was doing night since it was a project where i wrote every night before sleep that was the only time i could secure knowing that i'm going to be stationary sure like for the most of the day i would not know where i'm going to sleep wow but right before sleep i know that this is this is the place and time right Hmm. and so i made myself write a piece that you know sometimes that day but definitely by the end Mm-hmm. of the of the day and uh that is a discipline i feel like people people say that discipline is not a good thing you know being harsh to yourself being demanding but i think hmm. if you understand yourself and if you are gentle with your demands this is something that propels you forward so no don't kill yourself sure. by doing the things don't be picking up weight that's going to give you, you know, an injury. Right. Uh, but keep doing a little bit, every every bit, even if you don't want to. Yes. And to me, that was, you know, that I've done that exercise a number of times, and uh, it works. I mean, it's not always going to be great. You know, the, the entire series, because it's presented unedited, you know, I'll perform some of this poetry and go, Phew, <laughs> that's <laughs> all right. <laughs> But it does work in context. It's a sure. story. It's a story of like, and that's how you showed up that day. Now, in 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 the words of the the demon from uh, Good Omens, grow better. <laughs> ah, yes, yes, I like that. Yes, you know. Mm. Well, this has been a marvelous conversation. Uh, where would you like to send people, both on the internet and locally in Portland, to find? your work and to engage with the the publications 
So there, there are a few, there are a few places. Um, I am co-founder of Lightship Press, so lightshippress.com. Uh, there you will also find our showcase, lightshippress.com slash wardlights. That's coming up on January 24th at Coho Theater. I would love for people to show up there. Uh, myself, um, I have a Patreon and a website uh, so people can support my work and also get access to the archive of all of my poetry there, um, patreon.com slash Igor Brezhnev. Um, and then uh, my website is igorbrezhnev.com. I have a mailing list, all of the things. Uh, if they want to hear my poetry, it's on Bandcamp, and the links oh, are cool. on my website. Excellent. Um, yeah. And uh, continue showing up for, for art. And uh, there's, there's, this town has an incredible pool of talent. Mm. You know, I've been here since 2013. Um, and just the kind of interdependence and collaboration and co-creation of the talent in this town is just simply incredible. It's, 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 it's very, very valuable to know that that exists because there's not a lot of places like that. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I've experienced that too. It's an incredible place to live uh, and an incredible place to be an artist. Um, and so as we're recording this, we are in the building of Jaja PDX or also the Haven. They share a space and you can buy the Lightship Press books right here. If you find yourself in Portland or if you live here already, um, are the books carried anywhere else around town? Uh, we've got, so the books, uh, the, the books are carried by Powell's, Powell's oh, books. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Um, we just dropped them off not too long ago. Uh, we also have a wonderful bookstore. If you find yourself on the other side of Columbia River in Vancouver, Birdhouse Books. Cool. Just amazing uh, group of people. Um, uh, Lucas and Sarah, the, the owners, are incredible supporters of local art and poetry and writing. Uh, check that bookstore out. Um, Birdhousebooks.store, I think. Um, but yeah, that's... That's in that's uh, that's in Vancouver, and then um, uh, Belmont Books is okay. another good bookstore to find our books at. Um, right. Rose City Bo Book Pub might have some. Oh yeah. Um, from time to time. So the Lightship Press puts uh, we we distribute books to Powell's for our authors, and then most authors independently place their book for consignment sure. in, in local stores. So you might find it in your store. Ask your store. Cool. Ask them to right. if they want if you have if they have a book, and uh, I thought I would be reading a whole lot more poetry, so oh. I think I'll finish off. Please, oh, that'd be um, excellent. So this is one of my favorite poems uh, from Semrose Preminger, and so Semrose they were uh, emetic during the protests in 2020, um, and this entire book, Our Streets, is written from that perspective, and this is a poem called Nightmare Elk. For those who have left us, for those still fighting, what's that bright and rowdy rolling up the street? The neighborhood watches their children declared a riot. The DJ declared a riot. The donut shop declared a riot. The neighborhood watches. Their children 
miraculously feral grow antlers, grow teeth. Excellent way to finish. I think poetry, poetry is a very powerful thing. Um, and uh, Sam Rose is going to be reading that and other poems at the showcase coming up this Tuesday. Uh, check them out. They're amazing. And if you want to hear my poetry, you can find it elsewhere. Yes, <laughs> yes. Excellent. Thank you, Igor. What Thank a, you, Josh. It's I a pleasure to it. have you. Yes.